God, again, is going to do powerful things in this time that we have together. Uh, so when you saw the video of the students, uh, again, a lot of what you saw was the, the joy and the laughter, the, uh, even in, in the worship, the excitement. Um, but when you looked at those faces, I don't know about you, but I didn't immediately think of this, but I was thinking, what are the injustices that have come against those young people? What are the injustices, those things that have touched their lives that just aren't right? It's not fair. And a lot of those kids and others, we minister to those that, <clears throat> that are part of Grace Fellowship and those students, there's, there are many whose families are part of this church, but there's many that, that are from outside of the church and from the community that come in and they're part of the Waken Ministry or at Revive. But think about some of the injustices. Think about the bullying that a lot of these students endure. Uh, think about family situations, and there's difficulties that, that they're going through. Think about um, the, the, the sense of feeling rejected and not enough. All these things are injustices that are coming against these students. And we're going to, the reason that I was drawn to that and to, and to um, give notice to that and draw attention to it is because today we're talking about, about justice and, and the just and the unjust. We're looking at Joseph's life, and we're going to see uh, how how injustice came against Joseph. And when we look back those thousands of years, I mean, it's terrible the things that, that Joseph went through, and we're going to walk through some of that. But today, there are injustices that are coming against us. And you think about, what does that mean? Well, something, when something is just, it means that it's fair, that it's, it's right, it's the way it should be. When we think of something that's unjust, it, it's that it's against that, that it's not, it's not deserved, it's not fair, it's just not right. So that's what we talk about when we're talking about just and unjust. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to be making a very, very direct application, uh, again, as we look at Joseph's life and we look at our lives. But I'd like us to start with this truth, foundational truth, is that God is just. God is just. This is the foundation that we're building on. And, and these things are, are truths that uh, some of us maybe have lived with all our lives and we believe. And yet I feel that God is strengthening us and drawing us to believe deeper, to, to embrace this in a stronger way. So there's two verses that I have that, that speak to the justice of God, that God is just. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. So think about this description of God. This is true. It's the word of God. It's God's word describing him. And as it says it, again, his works are perfect and all his ways are just. There is nothing about God that is wrong. There's nothing about God, nothing that he does that is off. Now this may push up against us because there's things in, lives, in our lives where, where we say that that's just not right. Like if God's God overall, like how can this happen? Well, here's what we need to do. We need to look at scripture and see, see what scripture says. So there's two things that can be happening. One is this, is that, that what I'm seeing, I'm not interpreting correctly. That we can misinterpret the things around us in a way that, that would seem contradictory to God, but God does not contradict himself. God is true. It says that all that he does is perfect. He is just in all of his ways. So sometimes it's a misunderstanding of, of us of the situation, and sometimes it is a misunderstanding of God in that we blame God for things that, that God didn't do, that they're things that are in this world. So I'm gonna get that, to that in just a second. But the second verse that I wanted to share, Psalm 89, 14, this has been resonating in my heart as I've been reading it and thinking on it this week, and it says this, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. The throne from which he rules over all the universe, that foundation is righteousness and justice. That we know that God is built on what is right. That he is just, he is what is right. There is nothing wrong in him. But what happens is this bottom thing is, is this is the issue, this is the grab, this is what gets us, is that the world is unjust. Anybody say amen? Okay, I didn't think I'd have to convince you. The world is unjust. Things are not right in this world. I had a, a, a middle school uh, math teacher. Uh, I had him for two years, uh, not the same class, but it was, I had the same teacher for, for two years. Um, but he had the saying that, that as middle schoolers, we were hearing this over and over again, nothing is fair. Like he just wanted us to understand that in this world, don't expect it. He, he, he said, nothing is fair. Like, if you weigh it out, nothing is fair in this world. But then the thing was, is when he had my sister a couple years before me and then me, he added the exception. Uh, when I was there, he said, nothing is fair except Mark Fair. You know, so, I mean, he wasn't saying me as a person, but he was playing on, on, on my name. He did the same thing with my sister, Sherry. Um, but the reality is that the world is unjust, is that we're, we live in a fallen world. And, 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 you know, we can look at this world and say, like, God, you know, why are you doing this? But God's rules over all, but yet he's released choices to us for a time. And we, we, we're born into a fallen world. It's, it's just messed up. You know, and so many times we're expecting perfection. We're expecting righteousness. We're expecting just justice from an unjust world. And we'll be disappointed. Now, there are times that things are good, that happens. But, but anyhow, as we're talking about this, we've talked about students, we've talked about the world as a whole, but I want us to get really personal today. And, and this is, I mean, like super, like a personal time for you and for me right now, is that what I would like us to do is to look at our own lives and see what injustices are touching us, are touching our lives right now. So again, not looking at the world, but I want you to look at your life and see, you know, what are the injustices that are touching your life right now? And that may be something that, that happened yesterday. It could be something from even many years ago, but it's still impacting you. It's still affecting your life. And what I would encourage you to do is, like, uh, if you have something to write down, like, literally, as things, you know, one or two things, it could be more that come to your mind of injustices that are touching your life right now. You could write them down or maybe put it in your phone. But I, but I wonder what I want you to do, whether you write it down or, 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 you know, put it in your phone or something. I want you to hold it through this service. Because what we're saying is that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm identifying this injustice is touching my life, whether or not I'm, uh, regardless of what I'm doing with it, it's touching my life. It's impacting me. It has effect on me. And what I would like us to do is take these injustices and just hold them, like, literally maybe in our hands or at least in our minds throughout the service and see what God would have you to do with those injustices. Now, if you're not sure, okay, what is... Um, how would I find an injustice in my life? It'd be the kind of thing that you would say, um, this just isn't fair. What is that? Or I don't deserve this. Okay, so that, those would be injustices. So that can feel a little heavy. But we're going to be touching on injustices throughout the service. And we're going to see how God leads us in what he would have us to do with those. Uh, so I'm just going to say, uh, just a, a brief prayer.
over these uh, injustices. And uh, then we're going to move forward as we dive into the scripture. God, thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you that you are here, God, that you know us. And God, that you love us with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. Thank you that you are a just God, and we need you. We desperately need you. So with these injustices that touch our lives, God, I pray that you would uh, help us not to avoid them, but to um, just bring them before you throughout this time. And listen to you as you lead and guide us in what to do with injustices that touch our lives. Uh, We present this to you, God, and we ask that you would do what you desire. Help us to yield to you and surrender you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're still in Genesis and we are moving forward looking at victory. God's victory in ours. And last week, if you remember, we were um, looking at Joseph's life, the young man, one of the sons of Jacob. And as Pastor Phil brought the message, we, we had these two dreams that Joseph had. And both dreams uh, were telling about how, the, telling, uh, of how his 11 brothers were going to bow down to him. And one dream even said about his parents would be bowing to him. And, um, you know, I've often thought, like, why'd you say it to, to them? You know, like, why did you, why, you knew that they didn't like you. You knew that there was tension in the relationship, and yet you told them that they were going to be bowing to you. But yeah, I so appreciate that first point that, that Phil uh, built on is that we need to be bold in what God's told, that we need to share what God has spoken into our lives because regardless of whether or not, uh, again, was he being prideful? I don't know. That would go to his motive and what was, his heart was, and we don't know that. But it was, it was important, it was necessary that he actually tell them that uh, what he saw and what was gonna happen because that's the very thing that got the ball rolling toward what was gonna bring about the fulfillment of his dreams. So it was necessary that he tell what God has said. And it's so important that we tell and that we share with others what God has spoken to us. Now, you know, as he said, the very last point, like it's all about the grace of God. Whatever God is doing, it's all about his goodness. That, that we fall short and we can't live up in and of our, of our own strength, our own goodness, our own righteousness. But we live in the grace of God. And we desire for his righteousness to be seen through, through us. So what happens is in this journey of Joseph, He tells his brothers about this dream. They're not happy. They throw him into a pit. They're ready to kill him. But instead they decide, no, we'll sell him. And that's what's going to bring us to uh, uh, this next chapter. We're going to jump into uh, Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be looking at chapters 39, 40, and 41 uh, this morning. But what we're going to be looking at as we talk about injustices is this very thing. Is that as we look at Joseph's life, we're going to see how to move from, from a victim to victory. From a victim to victory. We're going to look at Joseph's life, and this is going to be very clear as we look at Scripture. And there's three things that we're going to see. So we move from victim to victory when we live for God's glory. First and foremost, foundation. We're going to see this through through the other two points as well. But we move from victim to victory when we live for God's glory. Secondly, we're going to see that we, we move from victim to victory when we learn to hear God's voice when we learn to hear God's voice. And then thirdly, we're going to see that we move from victim to victory when we lean into God's timing, when we lean into his timing. Again, we'll see this as we walk through uh, Joseph's life. So when we talk about victim, we understand that that's speaking about injustices that have happened, okay? And there truly are, uh, we have all been victims at different times in lives, lives, and, and and we truly they're truly our victims. So victims, victims are uh, people that have received something that has been wrong. They've been the recipient of wrongdoing. And that truly is the definition of a victim. 
The thing is, is that that's, that describes a happening, an occurrence. It matters. It matters a lot. And yet we want to be careful that it doesn't become an identity. That what has happened to us can become an identity that we embrace. So what happens as we look at victim, uh, I know this is a cultural assessment, but I believe that most will probably see this to be true, is that we live in a victim culture. Does that make sense? Now, there are wrong things that happen to us, and at the same time, there is a culture that says, do you realize all this that's happening wrong to you? And this piling on that's leading us to have this thinking of, of being a victim everywhere and, and in every situation almost. Now, uh, now what happens is that often with a, when there's a victim mentality, when there's a victim culture, there's a release of responsibility, saying, this has happened to me, it's bigger than me, and I can do nothing about it. It's a, it, can be, it can be a giving away of responsibility. And often what happens when there's a victim, there can be somebody that can be pointed to and says, well, they're the persecutor. They're the one that, that, that's causing this. And then there's a looking around, but well, who can rescue me? Okay, and this becomes something that can be a very dysfunctional um, relationship within, within uh, periods, within things of conflict. But think about our culture, the way it does it. Okay, tell me... Well, I don't know, just think about it. I'm not going to ask you to tell me, but think about all the political ads. Has anybody seen a political ad lately? Okay, like, I don't understand how they get to my cell phone, but, like, I've, I've blocked more numbers in the last month and a half. Um, I, have, I have one that came to a text message, a political, and, and I don't sign up for anything, but, like, came during first service. Block, delete, okay? But the thing is, is that what happens in those ads is that we, the constituents, are painted as the victim. And then somebody is the persecutor. Someone's the one that caused this to happen to you. And here comes the rescuer. They're the ones that paid for the ad and approved it. Okay? So, so that's what it, but this culture just moves that way. And it's not just in politics. I mean, it's like in our lives. It's like you're watching a commercial and what's happening. They're going to paint you as a victim. You poor thing. This is what's causing your pain. This is the answer. Buy our soap. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to fix the victim issue, you know? But, but, I mean, this is our culture that we're living in. So I'm not, God wants to rewire our thinking. We are not going to change the culture tomorrow, but we can change how the culture impacts us. And we can move from victim to victory. And we're going to see this as we look at the example in Joseph's life. So we're going to begin with uh, chapter 39. Going to begin with verse two, and we're just going to be taking certain scripture passages throughout these three chapters. I'll fill in some in between, but I want to encourage you to read. Uh, if you haven't read it, or even if, if you have, as you go back through and read, you're just going to see more and more truths come through as you study the Word of God. But Genesis 39, beginning with verse two, says this The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, that's Potiphar, who had bought him. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, okay, this is wild. Like we just read that like in a minute or so. I don't know what time frame this took place in. My guess is we're going to talk about time a little bit later, but my guess is it wasn't, hey, I bought a slave today. Hey, it looks... The Lord's with him. Looks like he's doing good. Tomorrow, let's exalt him to second, second in command. Okay, like, I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but like when we read it, we lose sense of time. Like there's a process that's happening here. That, that he truly was uh, sold as a slave. He was purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar was a captain of the guard. So he's like way up there next to Pharaoh the king. 
And so Potiphar has this exalted position. He has a slave. A slave is something you possess, you own. The slave does what you say. But what happens is that, that Joseph is serving in a way and so many good things are happening that Potiphar sees God. Like, I mean, it says that when his master saw that the Lord was with him, it wasn't just that he was a good slave. Potiphar recognized that it was God that was, that was working through him. It says that, it, that when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And scripture, another scripture says that it was everything in his house and in his field was blessed. And it was because of Joseph and the blessing that was on his life. So this first point is this, is that we move from victim to victory when we live for God's glory. When it's about God, it's not about us. So what Joseph was doing was living in such such a way that he wasn't getting the credit for it. He was acknowledging that the good happened because of God. God, That's what it means to give God the glory. He wasn't saying, hey, I picked myself up by my bootstraps, I was in the pit, now I'm a slave, but you know, I'm gonna muscle up and do well. No, he was recognizing it was God that he gave his bootstraps to and God picked him up. And that God gets the glory. And this is a foundational thing in, in Joseph's life. And we're gonna see this uh, through the other points as we look at them, that God's glory is central to his living. Now think about what the situation. Again, he's a slave. He's in a foreign country. He doesn't know the culture. He may not know the language. He's a slave, okay? He's distanced, he's been betrayed by, by his family. He's absent from his family. I mean, it's, it's all new and he's alone. He's the only one like him in this situation and he's a slave. Did I say he's a slave? We can't forget that. Like this is his situation and in that place, he desires for God to be seen. He desires for God to use his very circumstances to be a way that points to God. So uh, let's go on. So he's committed to God's glory and he's in his work, desiring that in his work that God is glorified. Now let's look at the next portion of scripture. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Do you know that, that that's only said of several men in the entire Bible? And Joseph's one of them that he was well-built and he was handsome. So that's in his favor, right? But we're gonna see that uh, actually can work against him. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. That's pretty bold. <laughs> like, literally, I mean, she's inviting. She's the, the wife of Potiphar, this high official, and he's in, she's inviting this slave to come to bed with her. But Joseph refused, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Listen to the responsibility that's been, the power that's been given to Joseph as a slave. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, we're talking about the glory of God. Joseph was, wanted God to get the glory in his work. And here, he's saying, I want God to be honored in my moral decisions. When she's approaching him, she's saying, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. He says, no, how could I do this? How could I do this wicked thing and what? Sin against God. He wanted God to be glorified 
in his moral choices. It's foundational. It's incredible. Like, like in, in his life, in this culture, it might have been okay. But with his God, it's not. You know, some commentators feel that, that it was okay in that culture for, for wives to sleep with other people besides their husband. That it was accepted. It was okay. But whether the culture said okay or not, it was not okay before God. He said, I, I need to make a decision that honors God. I want God to be glorified in my moral choices. And he did things to protect himself. It says that he wouldn't even be with her. And what that, what's that, what that means is that he would always make sure that when he was serving in the house and Potiphar's wife was there, that there were other people around, that he wouldn't be alone with her. Like that's called setting good boundaries, okay? He was not gonna give a chance like, to make himself vulnerable or for him to be, um, to be put in a situation where he could be taken advantage of. Now in our lives, like, do you realize that, that we are called to draw good boundaries in our lives as well? Like when there's a place of temptation or a place of potential fall or even something coming against us, that, that, that God will give us the wisdom as we ask him to draw the boundary and say, okay, like I'm not gonna go there. You know, I, I, I remember, well, it didn't just happen in teens, but I remember specifically happening, having these conversations when I was a teenager. It's like, well, okay, this is a sin, but like how close can I get to it before it's really a sin? And do you know what? That, that, that thinking doesn't stop when we're adults. You know, it's often how close can I get but Joseph was saying, how far can I stay away? Like, draw the boundaries and keep the distance. Protect yourself. And, but it's to honor God. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. So God gave him incredible wisdom and restraint. Again, the beaten down, he could have felt, hey, it's offered. I deserve it. Look, I'm suffering. But he didn't. It was about honoring God, giving God the glory. And I, it, scripture doesn't say this, but I wonder if this was a question that Joseph would often ask himself. Based on how I'm living my life, how will people see my God? Because he wanted to make sure God was honored, right? How could I do such a thing and dishonor God? Is this a question that maybe would be good for us to ask? Based on how I'm living my life right now, how will people view my God? You realize that, you know, people are going to listen to our words sometimes. Anybody listening now? Okay. See, there's a couple. But, but people listen to our words, but they watch our lives, right? You know, and, and like based on how I'm living, how will they view my God? What will they think about my God? Joseph lived in a way for God's glory to be seen through his life, through his moral choices. And even though he drew the boundaries, he was careful, he said no, he stayed away. Um, he didn't fall but he got trapped. So the one day he goes in and again, some commentators think maybe she set it up. There wasn't anybody else around. There are no witnesses. And she grabbed his coat or his cloak and said, sleep with me now. Okay. This is the time. And he said, absolutely not. So to spare himself, he left and his cloak was left. And that cloak was ended up being used as evidence against him, even though he did nothing wrong. So she said, you know, she made up the lie and she said, you know, hey, this servant came in to have fun with me, like to, to you know, to, to mock me and to, and to make sport of me. And she was believed. Now, you know, by this time I'm thinking, Joseph is thinking, why, do you have, why does everybody keep taking my coat? You know, did you ever think about that? Like, so, I mean, he had the, the ornamental, you know, the ornate coat, the coat of many colors, as some translations say. But that was taken from him, and it was used as evidence in a lie about him. Remember, it was dipped in blood. 
He didn't really die, but it was dipped in blood goat in the in the uh, goat's blood, and the, and it was used as evidence about him uh, and a lie. Now his coach uses evidence against him, and he didn't do anything. This is an injustice. It's a huge injustice. So what happens? More injustice. Pick up at verse uh, verse twenty in chapter thirty nine. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Look at how things, responsibilities given being released. He's he's a prisoner, and he's in charge of the other prisoners. But because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The reason is God. It's about God's glory. It's about God being seen. It's about God causing him to, to be upright and to, and to do well and to serve well in every circumstance, to live holy, to be righteous, to, to cause even others to be blessed. Regardless of where Joseph was at, his determination was God's glory. Everywhere he was, in every situation. The situation doesn't become an excuse. It becomes another way for God's glory to be seen. So then we move on. He's in a dungeon. And then in chapter 40, we're going to move further in the story. And we're going to look at some fellow prisoners. Sometime later, again, sometime later, we don't know the, the, the amount of time, but he had risen to the height of service uh, under Potiphar. Now he's a prisoner and raises to the, to the height of service within the prison. And then it says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Now, the captain of the guard is a title of Pharaoh. So this dungeon, dungeon seems to have been attached in part of the house of Potiphar. But, so there's still interaction with Joseph and, and Potiphar, and Potiphar's still entrusting him with great care. But it says he put him in, the cust, in, in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them after they had been in, in custody for some time. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, tell me your dreams. I want you to think about that question and that statement. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. There was a confidence. He knew that only God could give the answer, but he he was also confident that he would hear God tell him. Do you see that? Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And in that, we we can see that we move from victim to victory when we learn to hear God's voice. We move from victim to victory when we learn to hear God's voice. So what happens is that Joseph interprets the dreams. He interprets the dream of the cupbearer. His his dream was interpreted as this, is that in three days, you're gonna be raised back up to be cupbearer. You once again hand the cup to Pharaoh. The baker heard that and he thought, good interpretation, I'm up next. 
the, his interpretation had to do, do with three baskets and uh, some baked goods and birds. And Joseph heard that and he said, in three days you're going to be lifted, your head's going to be lifted up and you're going to be impaled. And okay, I thought it was going to be good. <laughs> okay. But what happens is it comes true. Exactly, in three days, it's Pharaoh's birthday, and he lifts up their heads, and the cupbearer is restored into service, and he is handing the cup, uh, cup to the Pharaoh, and the baker is impaled, exactly as Joseph had interpreted. But it was because he was trusting in, that he heard the word of God. Remember that statement, interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dream. I, I, I'm confident that I'm gonna hear and be able to discern God's voice. And that's something that we all um, are called to grow in, hearing the voice of God. Now, on Wednesday nights, we've been really focusing on this and you know, finding victory in our minds that, and, and throughout other ministries. But like this is specifically like, like, how do I hear God's voice? Like, how do I know that it's him speaking? And so much of it has to do with quieting ourselves before him to learn his voice. So much of it has to do with like soaking in his word and reading his word and saying, God, speak to me. Speak. Your servant is listening. Listening is your servant. That we can, we can learn to hear the voice of God and know that it's God that's speaking and have confidence that it's God that's speaking. Now, the thing is, when God speaks, we know that, that what we hear, if it's of God, it's always gonna be in alignment with his character and with his nature. It's not gonna conflict with his word. It's gonna carry the heart of God, which is a heart of love and redemption, restoration, grace, and mercy. But we can learn to hear God's voice and have confidence that it is God that is speaking. So we're called then to hear God's voice for ourselves and God will help us to hear his voice for others. Because I want you to look at this progression of what happened. Is that back in his home country, again, he had these dreams and he knew they were, they were from God. He was confident that, that those dreams were God speaking to him and he shared those dreams, but those dreams were about himself. And he hadn't even seen the fulfillment of those dreams yet, but he knew that they were, they were God speaking to him. And when we look at how Joseph lived as he served in Potiphar's house, as he served in the prison, he can only achieve that blessing of God and have the favor of God if he's walking, listening to God, if he's walking in the way that God is directing him. So he's hearing the voice of God for himself, God speaking to him. And if you want to hear God more, walk in obedience to what you've already heard. Take the step, grow the faith that, that when I obey God's word and I step in that direction, it opens me up to be able to hear his voice more clearly. But now he's hearing for others. He's hearing the, the cupbearer and he's hearing the baker and he's hearing God speak God's word to them and it's verified, it's true, it comes true. And in the next chapter, we're actually gonna hear, he's gonna be hearing God's voice to the extent that he, he's hearing God's voice for the nation and for the region. We can continually grow in learning to hear God's voice. It's God's voice that makes all the difference. It's by the word of God that all that has created has been created. All that is seen was, was created out of nothing through the voice of God. That voice is worth hearing. That voice is transforming. That voice is what brings salvation. That voice is what grows us. That voice is what, what will change us and allow us to be used as a change agent for the glory of God. You see how the glory of God flows through all this. Now there's a practical thing, and I want to touch on this right now, quickly and directly. We have something important coming up on Tuesday. 
Anybody have any idea? Remember I talked about the ads? They'll end after Tuesday, okay? Hopefully, I don't know. Uh, that's a reason to pray, right? So, but the election is an important thing coming up. And we can hear God's voice in how to vote. Now, there's election guys that are out there that they, it's not supporting a candidate, but it's giving, just reporting on where they stand on different issues. But we need to pray and we need to hear the voice of God. And we need to then act in obedience to how God is leading us. I'm just gonna offer a prayer. And, and, and the thing is, is like, as I do this, I want you to hear this. We've said this over and over again. No matter who is elected or who is not, politics will not save this nation. Salvation can only come through our Lord. And God honors justice. He honors righteousness. And we can pray and we can vote in a way that honor, that righteousness and justice will prevail. That comes into alignment with his throne when righteousness and justice are its foundation. Uh, So let's pray together. God, thank you, Lord for this great country that we live in and as broken as we are as a nation and as many troubles as we have, God, we are so blessed in so many ways. God, we have the freedom even this morning to come together in the name of Jesus and worship you freely. Thank you. God, you do see the, uh, the struggles in the, of this nation. And most of all, God, you see the lostness of this nation. So Lord, we pray first and foremost, God, for a mighty revival to cover this land. God, that as your church, that we would awaken and that we would move in a way God, that would bring your salvation to this lost country. But God, we also pray that you would lead and guide us, God, as your believers and as those that will, um, will be taking a step in, in voting. God, lead us and guide us. Give us wisdom as we vote. And God, we do pray that you would be glorified, that you would be seen. Uh, God, that righteousness and justice would become the foundation of this land in this day. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the next words, I trust, will be after the election as well, when it all goes well with you. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a, a step of faith, right? Um, but this is Joseph now speaking to the cupbearer because the interpretation of his dream was favor. The interpretation of his dream was restoration in three days from prison to Pharaoh, to serving Pharaoh. And Joseph has a simple statement that he gives to the cupbearer. He says this, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Okay? I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. All of that is true. All that are injustices that have been against him. And he simply says, remember me. Verse 23, the end of the chapter The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Really? (laughs) I mean, that's just, the guy's free. He's from prison and he's now serving Pharaoh and he's handing that cup to Pharaoh. Don't you think he would remember the dream? Don't you think he would remember the one who interpreted it? But it says he forgot him. Want to hear something worse? Turn to the next chapter, to chapter 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Let that settle in. We're moving one verse. Okay? Joseph is moving over 700 days, and he's still there. Two years had passed, and he's still there. But Pharaoh had a dream. 
and things are gonna shift. But here's the third point. We move from victim to victory when we lean in to God's timing. When we lean in to God's timing, not our timing, but his timing. Like, I mean, this is tough because, yeah, I mean, we've touched on it. Think about all that Joseph has gone through. Like, he's been victim after victim after, like, he's, the, he's just this repeated victim pattern again and again and again. I mean, if he would have written country music, he'd have top chart hits. Like, like, you know, okay, if I just insulted you, if you took that as insult, write a song about it, okay? No, no. No, no, but really, I mean, like, like this guy's been like beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up again. He's forgotten, but yet he's continued to live for God's glory. He's continued to to hear God's voice, and God's going to lift him up. You know, if he had been, think about this. Like, like had he been 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 like bitter, and if he would have just been like sulking, um, he wouldn't have been able to hear God's voice. He wouldn't have been able to be used the way that God used him. He wouldn't have been able to have the blessing of God not only on him but on others. But yet he was trusting God's timing moment by moment by moment. And when it seemed like a delay, God was still with him. So Pharaoh has very two distinct dreams. Again, I'm not going to read them right now, but two distinct dreams, but they're saying the same message, and it's this. That, that there's going to be seven, now Pharaoh has no idea, he's trying to find people to interpret, but, he, but it's going to be interpreted by Joseph as this, is that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then f- seven years of famine. Like this is huge impact on the nation and the surrounding region. But what happens is again, he can't, he can't find anybody to interpret yet. I've, I've got these dreams, he literally had a dream, he woke up, fell back asleep and woke up and like they were tormenting him, they were so clear and nobody could interpret. So then the chief, chief cupbearer remembers in verse nine, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. It's like, oh, I forgot. You ever, something happened, like, oh, I said I was gonna do that. Now, two years later, okay, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. He imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had its own meaning. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, we told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. The other man was impaled. So G- Joseph was called and now it says he was shaven and given new clo- clothes. Another coat. And then a little bit later, we're going to see he's getting a royal coat, like even better. I'm telling you, it, it gets better. It goes from what was taken to what's restored is even better. But it says that, that, that he interpreted the dreams. And when he interpreted the dreams, it was like, like Pharaoh just knew this is accurate. This is from God. In fact, it's the first time that the Spirit is mentioned in Scripture. I think it's verse 38 that, that Pharaoh sensed the Spirit of God in him. So, I mean, God's moving powerfully here in this time, at just this right time. Now, it doesn't feel like the right time, I imagine, to Joseph. Because you wonder how long it's been? He's 30 years old when he's raised up to, to, um, to interpret this dream. He was 17 when he was sold. 13 years that he has been. Pitt, Potiphar's house, prison, and now before Pharaoh. And he still hasn't had his dream fulfilled. 
but he's trusting God's time. He's leaning into God's timing. You're going to see another seven years happen where where Joseph is raised now to the highest position in the land, second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is releasing Joseph to, to oversee all this, all that's going to happen, that through those seven years, he's collecting the, the, um, the plenty. He's bringing them into storehouses. He already has a plan. Then, then seven years of famine are going to come, but it's not until the seven years of famine that his brothers show up. That's over 20 years. We lean into God's timing. You know, Hebrew says that there are those that died having not received. Those in the faith, those that have gone before us. Sometimes the timing will be us seeing fulfillment on the other side, but it's worth it. We need to trust God's timing. God was getting things in order, in order for his glory to be revealed. It seemed as if Joseph was content with the stops and the starts of his life being in God's hands. Think about that. Am I content with the stops and the starts of my life being in God's hands? Now, I think the only way to, get, to, to really grasp this is to live in the moment. You know, Jesus said that we shouldn't be concerned about tomorrow because tomorrow's gonna take care of itself. Don't worry about it. Like, we've got right now, let's live this moment in the light of God. Let's live this moment for God's glory. Let's live this moment listening to his voice. Let's live this moment for him and then just trust, lean in to God's timing and trust that God's gonna do what God wants to do as we yield to him, as we give him the chance. But so many times we can embrace this victim mentality when God says, you don't get it. There's victory right now. Like, like the situations may change, they may not change. See, Joseph's victory wasn't dependent on a situation changing. We do see, the, see the, the trajectory that's moving toward incredible, okay? The way God's using him, the way God's gonna speak through his life, the way God's empowering him. But the thing was, his victory wasn't based on the situation of the moment. His victory was based on him being in God and him not being under his situations, but him allowing God to be over his situations. And that's what God's calling us to, that we would yield our time to him. So that leads us to this, the injustices that are in our hands. What do we do with these injustices that are touching our life right now? What do we do with them? As we look to Joseph's life, we can do the very things that Joseph did. That we can desire, God, would you be glorified in and through these? God, in the midst of these injustices, will you help me to hear your voice? Will you help me to trust your timing? And ultimately, I really believe, I really believe that the best thing that we can do with these injustices in our hands are take them and place them in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Because when we come to the cross, I want you to look at this. This just jumped out at me so strongly this week. The cross is the ultimate collision of the just and the unjust. Think about that. The cross is the ultimate collision of the just and the unjust. That the just is God, Jesus, God in flesh, absolutely perfect, righteous, holy, nothing wrong. He is the just one. He does all things right. And we have him submitting himself to the unjust of the world. Submitting himself 
to the blasphemy, to the lies, to the beatings, to the nailing, ultimately to death. His life was not taken from him. He laid it down. He allowed the unjust to crucify the just. And what was that for? For our salvation. Because the thing is, is that we're born in this fallen nature. We know this. We, we have sin. And the penalty for sin is death. So when we die, that's just that's paying the penalty, right? But yet the thing is, is that Jesus had no sin in him. When he died, the just for the unjust, he was taking our sin upon himself and, and saying, I'll pay that penalty. You can't. The only thing you'll get out of this is death, but I'll take your death so that you can have my life, that we can have the resurrection power of Jesus within us, forgiven of all sin. So it's that collision, the just for the unjust. In this verse, 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says this, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You know, there's, there's choices right now in this moment. What do we do with the injustices that are touching our lives? And the invitation is this, bring them to Jesus. He took it upon the cross. He took the, un, the injustice upon the cross by choice out of love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It was him giving himself. He's died for it. Why would we withhold it? Why would we not give it to him? So that we can hand him our injustices and we can find his life in replace, replacement. We can find what Joseph lived. We can find what countless others have lived. Because you know what? Jesus, Joseph set the model. We saw the pattern in his life. But Jesus is the ultimate example. Because he lived for the glory of God. He knew the Lord's voice. He knew the Father's voice. And he trusted the Lord's timing because at just the right time, he died for us. So we're going to go into a time, I'm going to just say a brief prayer. We're going to sing a song of worship. And during that song, I just want to invite you to do whatever God calls you to do with the injustices that are touching your life. I want you to know that Jesus died for that. The just for the unjust. And he will give you life in the midst of any and every injustice that touches your life. You can move from victim to victory through Jesus Christ. So again, we're going to, uh, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing the song, and, and then I'm just going to give a quick close. But I just in this time, let it be you and God. God, thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Thank you, God, for your spirit that speaks to us. And thank you, God, that nothing is too big for you, God. So even when these injustices have attached to us, even when they become something that we have even rested our identity in, that you are here right now, Lord, to receive and to heal, to set free, to give victory, God, to help us to find greater life through the injustices, to help us, helping us to find victory over the injustices. And God, I thank you, Lord, that right now that you're calling many of us from victim to victory in the name of Jesus. God, just have your way right now, we pray. Help us to yield, to surrender to you, to trust you, and to believe and embrace the fact that you are perfect, you are just, you do all things well. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. 